Welcome to Built in the Peach State. I'm your host, Marcy Heath. This podcast is all about the creation of products in the Peach State. We're going to have conversations about all the peachy products and the people who make those stories just peachy. So let's dive in. So welcome to Produced in the Peach State. We are delighted to have Steve Graddick, president of Graddick Communications. Thank you, Steve, for joining us today. Well, good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yes, it is. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, um, your work history, how you got into radio. Well, okay. Um, Born and raised in Atlanta. Uh, Born into radio, I always say. Mm -hmm. My um, uncle started radio in the late 40s, introduced my parents in Spartanburg, South Carolina, at a radio station in the early 50s. I came along. Both my uncle and my father worked in radio, um, and my father built radio stations across Georgia. Both my uncle and my father worked in the uh, Atlanta radio in the 50s, and then my father started building stations in the 60s, and my grandfather retired from the Atlanta police force, and he and my father built a station in Lawrenceville, Georgia, Gwinnett County. Okay. And so... Uh, we left Atlanta, uh, moved to Rome because we had to take over a station there. He built about six across Georgia. And growing up in it, I remember my first memory of life is crawling around the WSB transmitter room, it seems like. And so I vowed that I wouldn't stay in radio as an adult because it took so much, it takes so much time and energy and it never stops. But uh, circumstances we, we might get into. I uh, uh, ended up in radio mm-hmm. and have been doing it in West Georgia for uh, 35 years. So 35 years. So how many stations do you own altogether and where are they located? Well, we have we have six in Georgia that serve primarily the West Georgia area. I do have a sister station in Calhoun County, Alabama, in Jacksonville. Our six stations in Georgia are licensed to different cities. And but the studios and the transmitters are not necessarily in those cities. Um, in 2000, we purchased WBTR AM and FM, and so we have WBTR FM, BNA2 Country, and then WBTR AM became WLBB uh, AM, and it now has an FM translator, of course. And we created KISS in 1988, KISS 102.7, licensed to Fruithurst, Alabama. And then, uh, so I guess about eight years ago, we got Great Classics 98.9. And the studio for Kiss B and 98.9 are at 102 Parkwood Circle. And the studio for WLBB is at 808 Newton Road. And then when I first came uh, full-time in 87, we had WKNG. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, on 1060 as it was back then. And it's also on 93.7. And its studio, along with Rejoice, 89.1, is located at uh, in Harrison County. They're just off of the highway uh, east of Tallapoosa. Mm-hmm. And in Alabama, we have uh, a Real Country WCKA. That is very interesting. So tell us about Gratic, Gratic Sports. Well, Gratic Sports... Uh, started 
basically when Facebook first came around and um, probably about uh, 15 years ago. And we, when we got WBTR FM, it allowed us to consolidate a lot of the sports presentation. And so we have grown primarily the football, but now we've moved into secondary sports. And Gradic Sports, Facebook, and Twitter gave us the kind of the built the momentum that allows us, we do now five Friday night football games live. Mm-hmm. Currently we're doing, now we're doing basketball, baseball, wrestling, and um, softball. And we used to just do the championship games on those sports. Mm-hmm. So now we're doing more regular seasons of those sports. So we've grown our sports presentation enormously and it's become a real beast to try to manage and keep mm-hmm. going but the public and our audience seems to really like it and appreciate it mm-hmm. yeah so i know the footprint of it has really grown um you know as far as like um you know the tailgating show and the pregame shows and and um i think y'all have like a thursday night um deal to where you you know talk about like the games going into and stuff like that yeah we have a weekly preview it's it's unlike anything that we know of in the southeast we think maybe there's a couple of stations in colorado mm-hmm. do something similar but most stations do one or two football games on friday night and they're done and we kind of started out that way but um Little by little, uh, it grew. And I I must say a large part of that uh, had to do to Mitch Gray, Mm -hmm. uh, who, you know, unfortunately suffered a stroke uh, two, three years ago. But he was, if we hadn't had Mitch during that time period, and even before I got BTR, uh, the, the high school sports presentation would never have grown to this level. He laid the foundation for it. Yeah. So as far as a business owner um, in the West Georgia area, what do you see as your number one challenge? Uh, <laughs> well, the, the, I would, if I wanted to rephrase that, <laughs> I wanted to ask it a little bit differently. Okay. I would say what is our, our biggest threat? Right. Then I, then I can answer what our number one challenge is. Okay. As I mentioned my father and grandfather had uh, built a station in Gwinnett, which has mm-hmm. now changed frequencies and is Hispanic. We had a group of stations in uh, Floyd and Polk counties for a time until 1989. And, and the, I think, you know, our slogan, our position statement is community radio at its best. We, we like to say we're hyper-local. And so as long as there's a community atmosphere and there's a community in the West Georgia region, we're okay. But once Harrelson, Carroll counties uh, in the cities become more metro, then we're in deep trouble. Mm -hmm. So we very much want to keep the West Georgia area, Harrelson, Heard, Coweta, as much as possible. And uh, Carol in a community uh, environment. We think we're important in doing that. We don't want to become metro. We don't want to be seized over by metro. If someone thinks someone lives out in West Georgia, and they say they're from Atlanta, 
the most likely they're working in Atlanta, they're watching Atlanta or listening to Atlanta media, they're going into Atlanta predominantly for entertainment. They have no interest in us because mm-hmm. they don't identify with the West George community. So we very much, and we, we kind of see ourselves as a bulwark for keeping Metro Atlanta at bay. Mm-hmm. I college in Atlanta. I grew up, I, uh, grew up in Atlanta and lived in Cobb for a couple of years, lived off Piedmont for a while when I was going to school there. And when I go into Metro or go into Atlanta, I get nervous. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't want it. The strength that we have is that whether it's Bremen or Carrollton or Villarica, um, we've got a wonderful accessibility to a city urban environment in only generally 20 minutes. Now, let me insert this. You know, I, could, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't expect to mention this. I live out in Bowden, mm-hmm. and I was afraid I was going to be late. You know why I was late? Because I was watching a bald eagle. <laughs> the bald eagle and I were playing hide and go seek. Uh-huh. The bald eagle was in a pasture. Then I'd run over and try to take a picture of it and fly away. And then I go where it was next and it fly back to the pasture. So for the, and within the last hour, I've been playing with a southern bald eagle, or American bald eagle. It was a full male, beautiful white head, giant white tail. Mm-hmm. Now, you tell me. How anywhere else in Metro Atlanta that I can, see that that I can be chasing a bald eagle around, right? And I mean, it was a magnificent bird, but that's what I was doing in less than an hour from talking to you. <laughs> that is might be an extreme example, but it points out the you know we talk a lot about we need to show more gratitude. Well, the people in West Georgia, whether they realize it or not. If they can be in Carrollton in in one moment and 20 minutes later be out with the cows and the chickens and the horses and the bald eagles, mm-hmm. then we've got a lot to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. And and so we see ourselves as community radio is in part uh, pushing back on the encroachment of Metro Atlanta and all the... Now, yes, it's, it's, it's got a lot of positives. Obviously, I'm originally in Atlanta, but... But unfortunately, as the culture has changed and the growth of Atlanta has become skyrocketed, there's been a lot of negatives. There are a lot of negatives. Right. Now, as Um, far as challenges, since I I, I rephrased your question, our greatest challenge, Mike, I I guess the greatest challenge that we've had has been two. One, radio suffered in the West Georgia area in the 70s. Mm -hmm. We kind of have had to build our own market, not only building up this group of stations, but we had to uh, show everyone that radio done right in a professional manner has great value. Mm-hmm. It's been a big challenge. When you have to grow your own, you grow your own stations and you got to grow your own market. Right. Thankfully, people, particularly after COVID, have started to see that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing, which you know about me, is I'm not necessarily a people person. <laughs> So I I tend to not identify quote unquote bad apples very well. And so unfortunately I hired a few bad bad apples along the way. Thankfully, 100 percent of them are gone now. Mm-hmm. And we have a great general manager with John Gray. And but we've got some phenomenal staff members, some that have been with me for you know several decades. Mm-hmm. 
And and so that was the other channel uh, challenge because that wasn't my forte is uh, assessing uh, uh, talent per se. Right. So I know I have several. Um, I'm the same as you. I'm kind of an introvert. So a lot of people ask all the time, is like, how can you be an introvert and run a successful company? Well, it's your team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. They're really out front. They represent you. They represent the brand. They represent uh, everything you you're, you have come up with in your vision and your drive and your passion and all those things. But you can't do it all yourself. Now, starting out, uh, you end up doing most of it yourself, as you know. Mm-hmm. But after a while, as you grow, you can't do it all yourself. I just mm-hmm. finished a book by Bob Green and Hobby Lobby. I can't remember the title exactly, but it's a business by the book or something very much like that. Of course, I have enormous respect for Hobby Lobby. And he started out in the garage for many years putting frames together, mm-hmm. and then he grew. He's an $8 billion business with close to a 1,000 stores, but he's still involved in the day-to-day in the select areas that he's good at. Mm-hmm. So I try to stay, as they say, in my lane and do those things that I'm I'm good at and then leave the rest of it to, uh, to everybody else. But yeah. Um, you can't just, as you grow a business, you can't just sit back and go, I'm in vision and I'll just come up with all the ideas. You've got to stay involved. Right, exactly. So now you're a part of um, the um, symphony, Carol? I am the uh, board chairman of uh, the Carol Symphony Orchestra. Uh-huh. She has just celebrated last November its 20-year anniversary. Uh, when I came down from Rome, Rome had a symphony, and I was always amazed about the performance before the July 4th fireworks. And so I took over in 1996, what we call Sounds of Liberty, uh, the fireworks before um, before the uh, Carrollton. It had already been started by a couple of wonderful ladies prior to that. Forgive me, I don't remember the names off the uh, top of my head. But... Um, but then, 20 years uh, since last November, whatever, or that would be, the symphony was formed. And so they started playing before the July 4th. And, of course, we did a fall concert. We did the Young Composers competition, did a spring concert. For a while, we did the Christmas concert. But it, it's I, I couldn't believe that Carrollton and Carroll County in the West Georgia area didn't have a symphony when Rome and Floyd County did. Mm-hmm. And the symphony... Uh, uh, does several things. Uh, one, it uh, showcases new music. Two, it has a youth uh, uh, outreach we do with the Young Composers Competition, and now we've started a youth orchestra. We have a youth academy. Do a whole lot of things. We have a professional orchestra, which is really something that the chambers and the economic engines of this area ought to showcase because it attracts doctors and and other people who are musicians. And then we started the um, wind ensemble. Um, and I can't remember. I think that's been about 12 years. Don't quote me on that. But that's just local people who used to play in high school or college who put their instruments down and now want to pick them back up as adults. And they play as volunteers through all kinds of charitable events, uh, community events, and they've gotten really good over the years. So 
It's become a big organization. Our conductor and musical director is Terry Lowry, and he's really put his heart and soul into it for 20 years. Um, I'm not a musician, so, uh, uh, but I think it's, uh, I think it's a good thing. I think any community of this size should have mm-hmm. this kind of musical uh, outreach and, and certainly a symphony to all possible. Yeah, I know I came to um, one of the fireworks shows in Carrollton. I think it was at um, the Carrollton Football Stadium a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, um, and, and it was amazing. That was the first yeah. time I had ever experienced anything like that. Yeah, and and so it's something that we want to keep going, and particularly as, as culture has changed, it's important to have a patriotic uh, performance, we think, uh, certainly every year around Independence Day. And, and Terry's very adamant that we uh, we only play American composers. Yes. Which I agree with, and uh, it may mean there's a familiar tune that people don't hear, but it does showcase that America, we have a great depth and we should be very proud of all the American composers that we have. So let's jump back to radio and, and being a CEO. What are some of the most important things that you've learned along your leadership journey? Uh, well, that's an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> that's a very broad type of question. Um well, I mean, there's several things. Some of them are almost somewhat cliches, but um, one, uh, there's no substitute for hard work. No. Uh, I don't know anybody that's come up with one. If you if you do, call me, because um, I don't know what it is. And then that concerns me, because I know there are great, some really great young people these days, but we do have a different culture with the millennials and the Gen Z. Yeah. And, you know, quietly quitting uh, is not something we would have dreamed of 30, 40 years ago. So I I think uh, that's important. I think the other thing uh, is you never stop learning. Uh, One of the hardest challenges, and I know, I'm sure you probably experienced it, when you're struggling and it's just you and it's you against the world, everybody's for you. You know, what can I do to help? This is great. And then you reach a level of success, and everybody goes, dang, I bet they got a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Dang, I bet they got a you know, place by the beach and a boat or two. And mm-hmm. you know, and they're not as eager to help you out because they think you you've succeeded. And and then you start thinking you succeeded. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you think you, you know, like you did when you were 17. I certainly when I was 17, I thought I knew everything. By the time I was 27, I was convinced I knew everything. And eventually you find out you know very little. Mm-hmm. But you always want to keep learning. And I think that's uh sometimes that's hard to do once you kind of get in your routine year after mm-hmm. year. Yeah, once I got the station in Alabama, I went, dang, I've gotten in a rut. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of competition in Alabama. Really? And, yeah, yeah. And so uh, we've kind of consolidated everything here, which is good because it allows us to do things that you can't do if you've got a whole lot of competition. But uh, when you have a lot of competition, it also keeps you sharp. And yes. So I learned a lot. And I said, oh, I've been in a routine and a rut almost. So we've incorporated a lot of things once I kind of got shaken back into reality. Um, I think the other thing, 
I can't even, I'm not sure I remember even the question. Now, what was the question? <laughs> so the question was the most important things you learned in your leadership journey. I think, I think the other thing, and I can't, I can't quote him exactly, but uh, you, I'm sure everybody's pretty familiar when Ben Franklin at the Constitution Convention said, the older I get, the more convinced I am that God rules in the affairs of men. I think you have to remember that God is sovereign and that he works out his providence and his will through his providence in the day-to-day activities. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, when you're, one thing I've always noticed about small business people is that in a lot of ways, they're a very prideful bunch. They don't really tell you how deep and how difficult the challenges are. And they probably never will, mm-hmm. but they're there whether it's making payroll or you have a problem employee or the bureaucracy has got you weighed down. And we can do another program one day on the Federal Communications Commission. I'll talk Mm -hmm. about that. But I think, you know, going through having a small business and going through that experience, you, you do have to remind yourself that God is sovereign and he has all this under control and you have to walk by faith. I think that's probably uh, one of the biggest if not the biggest lesson to be learned. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go back and talk about a little bit about what you were just talking about about the federal communications. Uh-oh. So I know I know like, you're gonna get me in trouble. I know. <laughs> so I know during a different you know um, administration, um, there was a lot of talk about kind of silencing um, you know the the small town radio stations, um, and then of course we got a different administration, and all that kind of went away. Now we're under this administration and you hear those talks again to where they're going to impose like taxes and, you know, like um, kind of sil- try to silence you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about that. OK, how much time do you um, I would say it this way. and This may sound like a sidestep. But uh, as you know, in, in the First Amendment, uh, there are five freedoms. Uh, freedom of press and freedom of speech are included. Second Amendment, of course, is possession of uh, firearms. Um, when, when speech and the press are constrained, whether it's by deliberate act of the government or it's by the administrative state, then those freedoms are in jeopardy. Um, And you have to remember this about all your radio and TV stations, is they're licensed by the Federal Communications Commission. Our license is for eight years. It's part of a public trust. And we're thankful for that. We have... um, uh, that's part of, part of the reason already on TV stations operate as they do is to maintain their license. So for most radio and TV stations, there's a large amount of charitable, community orientation, uh, public service uh, work and announcements. But the fact of the matter is that the federal government licenses these entities. So... The federal, I may own the towers and transmitters and the studios, but the federal government has the license. So without being too terribly direct, mm-hmm. the at least the television and the broadcast, the radio broadcast facilities in America, 
are licensed by the federal government. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now the internet at this point uh, is not terribly constrained by the federal government. Um, so you just have to always be on guard to protect the liberty that you currently have with uh, with that licensing process that the um, Federal Communications Commission has. So in answer to your questions, yes, there are administrations that are mo- more pro-freedom of speech, freedom of the press than others. Mm-hmm. And But it's really up to Congress in large part to help protect the freedom, those freedoms with the broadcast facilities across America. And we all have to be on guard against it because once you lose, once you lose um, freedom of speech, as has been curtailed in America in recent uh, times through political correctness, and once you start losing that and freedom of the press, then you lose your liberty. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of dancing around it a bit, uh, but in a nutshell, um, so radio stations generally, uh, when there's a, uh, an administration that is pro-freedom of speech and pro-freedom of the press, we applaud that. And we don't do a good job, in my humble opinion, of protecting it and speaking up enough about it. Because once it goes away, and whether it goes away through a, a forceful or deliberate crackdown, or if it just goes through, goes away through political correctness, the council culture, then when you lose speech and, and you know, freedom of the press, um, then the liberties in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, um, so tell us about uh, the radio station. So we, so we have um, 102.7, which is country. We have 98.9. What we call Hot Adult Contemporary. KISS 102.7 is Hot Adult Contemporary. Uh-huh. Uh, B92.1 is Mainstream Country. Mm-hmm. Uh, WKNG King Country of 1060 AM and 93.7 is what we call basically where it's real country, but we're playing some of the very best of today's music that sounds more like classic country. Mm-hmm. The mainstream country about four or five years ago moved more toward a younger pop oriented type sound. So they've become more divergent. Then we have great classics 98.9, which uh, plays uh, classic hits, which has become a very popular format. It plays a lot of music from the 90s, some 80s in there. Mm-hmm. And um, in, in just uh, 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 very music intensive format, very popular format, and it's doing quite well. And then we've got uh, Rejoice 89.1, which is a um, contemporary Christian station which is very music-driven, uh, except on Sundays we have church programs, which is uh, doing quite well. Um, then we have um, 
News Talk 1330 WLBB on 1330, of course, and uh, 106.3. And now we have apps for each of these stations that you can download. We stream all our radio stations. We have a very large social outreach. All of our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram pages combined are, uh, are larger than uh, any uh, anybody else in, in the region. So once combined, they are. So we're very proud of that. So that's pretty much our platforms, if you will. Right. Well, and then tell us about Community Voice. Community Voice is on WLBB Monday through Friday, um, which is 1330 a.m. and 106.3 FM. And we do stream some of those uh, programs on our Newstar 1330 Facebook page. Community Voice was actually started on WLBB, I'm not even sure what year probably back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we want to bring in a variety of people, but your average everyday, and we'd love to bring in, you know, the mechanic down the street, the hairdresser, the postal worker, whatever, but most people don't really want to be on the radio because <laughs> they're not used to it. It makes them nervous. They don't know what they're going to say. So, I should say unfortunately, but we end up um, bringing in a lot of the community leaders, a lot of elected officials. And so we tend to get an overabundance of those, and they're interesting, and they're important. But, uh, you know, I'd rather have a little more of uh, just your regular old boys and girls come in and be uh, part of the program. And, of course, uh, I tend to take my Monday slot and uh, do my little bit of my uh, interest when it comes to uh, politics and worldview. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that is a plays a, a huge role in me keeping up with the community. Um, you know, being a business owner and, and, you know, trying to run the daily race, it's hard to keep up with. Um, you know, all of the things that's going on in the community. And I know that you guys do a great job. Well, radio never stops. They say um, they say once the electrons get in your blood, you can't um, get them out. And, uh, you know, being a third generation, effectively, radio person, uh, uh, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the rewards are, are certainly not monetary. You... I had just the other day, I had like um, a grandmother, a mother, and a uh, about a nine-year-old girl, daughter, come up to me. And the grandmother told me how much she used to listen to WKNG and one birthday case. And then the mother grew up listening to KNG. And then here's the nine-year-old say, I listen to WKNG in the mornings, too. Mm-hmm. And so that's three generations under my watch. And so it's um, that's where you get your rewards. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, and that's why we do it, and uh, because it does take it takes a lot of time and energy and investment to uh, to do what we do. And we unfortunately and tragically are becoming uh, somewhat rare in that in the mid nineties, I think it was ninety six, telecom act came across, and investment bankers were allowed to buy hundreds upon hundreds of radio stations, Clear Channel, Cumulus, et cetera. They're still in business, but they went through a bankruptcy. 
but they tried to franchise everything out. If you listen to XYZ Station in Atlanta, owned by Clear Channel, now iHeart, and you listen to it in Memphis and Mm -hmm. uh, Denver and Minneapolis, they all sound the same. So, you know, they can sell advertising like you do uh, uh, McDonald's or Burger King. But we're independent, and so we focus on local communities. They don't. Right. And and so I think they hurt radio because radio, if you think about it, it's 100 years old now. Mm -hmm. Radio is still uh, vibrant and viable in the face of television, satellite radio, the Internet, MTV, you know, going to kill the radio star. Uh, all of these things, and radio is still here, mm-hmm. but for us, radio needs to stay to its, its initial calling and its tradition of serving the local community. Right. You're exactly right. Well, Steve, I know we have went over our 30-minute um, <laughs> time frame, um, but I did want to um, have a conversation with you, and, and so we could, um, you know, let other people hear about Gratic Communications and the great things that you do. Um, wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today, and um, we will um, see you soon. Thank you. Our pleasure. Go to graticcommunications.com and uh, download our apps, tune us in, and hopefully you'll like what you hear. If you don't, call me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Thank you for this podcast, and uh, thank you for all you do. Well, thank you. We appreciate you, Steve. Okay, everybody have a good day. All right, you too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Produced in the Peach State. We appreciate you listening. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe where you consume podcasts and leave us a review. Until next time, have a peachy day.